Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have an incredible episode lined up for you guys today. But before we get to that, we have to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Janus International, Tenant Inc., and Live Oak Bank. These are partners who we've specifically chosen for their expertise in the self-storage industry. Whether you're looking to rehab a facility, develop a facility, Janus has some of the most incredible and industry-leading solutions for you to implement at your facility, whether that's their their door systems, their hallway systems, their no-key technology, their keyless access entry systems. Uh, they are hands down one of the best resources in the industry for you to rehab a facility and to develop a facility that meets today's standards. Then we've got Live Oak Bank. Live Oak Bank is yet again another amazing partner that we've wanted to have as our sponsor for this podcast, the work that they do and have done in the self-storage industry is just incredible, and they continue to do this every single day. They live in the storage industry and provide some of the best and most innovative financing solutions for you to be able to get into self-storage. Be sure to check them out. Get a hold of Terry and uh, get your financing straight. Get it right. And these guys are the best in the industry. Then we've got Tenant Inc., all your property management needs tied into one solution. All of Tenant Inc.'s solutions underneath the Tenant Inc. umbrella, whether that's property management or that's tenant management, whatever that looks like, they've got a slew of amazing solutions for you guys to implement at your facility to help streamline management, to help you gain control and access of all your data and you're not giving that data to your competitors who are, are offering the same type of software that doesn't even come close to what Tenant Inc. actually offers you. Again, you own that data, which is just huge, huge, huge and innovative for the self-storage industry. Be sure to get at Tenant Inc. Check out all the links in the show notes for our sponsors. Get at them, get your facility on the right track and get out there and crush it. With that said, let's get to the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. And today, we're talking about probably one of the largest questions, the things we get asked the most, because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to do real estate deals, right? I want to do a self-storage deal and I want to put the deal together. Um, but I don't know how. I know it's possible, right? I know I can do deals without money. I know all of this can, but it's just like nobody's talking about it. And there's a few reasons why we're going to get into that. And nobody has either a format or a path forward which is actually typical. Like I talk about this a lot. Like people want a one, two, three step, right? And yeah. I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. as, as Connor well knows, uh, it's just that's not how this stuff works. Well, and it seems like it it would, and I and I don't know if that's a product of of education as we get old, like go through 
you know, being educated as we grow up, there's always like this one step, one, two, three kind of a thing. Yeah. Or if it's even, even a lot of the gurus and stuff out there in these certain industries are, are kind of guilty of uh, not convincing, but leading people to believe that there's this set process for every aspect of everything you want to do. If you pay me $50,000, I can show you exactly how the end income or the end goal is to what I did to you. Yeah. And it's like, Okay, that's a because every deal is the same. Every deal is the same, exactly, <laughs> and all time frames and all investors. Uh, and and how I think I like to view these things because, you know, when I was starting out, that's what I expected too. I I I paid for a lot of stuff. And I understand it. And for me, the overarching guiding principle for anybody that's in the CRE circle or my inner circle knows because this is kind of what we do and provide there are groups of what we talk to them about. It's all about frameworks. It's not about the exact steps. It's about the frameworks in which you should work within to accomplish outcomes and take down and tackle problems. And I think when you're dealing with syndications, it's hard because uh, when you're when you're dealing with syndications, you can pretty much do it however you want. Mm-hmm. Like there is no one size fit all. Every person that I know that's syndicating stuff, they're doing a variety of different things. And there's a variety of reasons why they're doing it the way they're doing. So it, it's not like, well, I can tell you exactly what you should do on this, but that format of that syndication then put over your deal makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm going to talk about um, how to structure real estate deals, acquisitions, and give you an overarching framework that you can then use and look at deals that you might be doing or run so you can walk in and not feel like if, oh, well, I, online they said to do this and then I put that in front of the investor and he laughed at me, right? Like that's not how this works. And so today we're going to break this down so you have the tools to do it yourself and the understanding of why it is the way that it is. Is that fair, Connor? No, dude, I love it. I think it's a great topic. Let's dive in. Okay, so- this was something that I actually, I struggled a lot with starting out because at the end of the day, when we're dealing with syndications, and I didn't understand this when starting it out, there's a couple things that we need to break down. First, let's keep this really simple. You have two parts. And now, I'm going to give a disclaimer before I get in this. I am not going into any laws, SEC, because that is super complicated, and neither me nor Connor are attorneys, so we're not going to talk about that. Okay? Uh, thank That's, God. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. You talk about attorneys with that. We're talking about how you actually make deals. Like It's how this stuff is proposed. So remember that. Um, now, when you walk into structuring a real estate deal, you have essentially two parts. You have the sponsor, Okay. And the sponsor is also referred, we call that a lot, the GP or the general partner. It's also another use for the term. Um, And then the investor themselves. So the sponsor is people like me and Connor. We're putting the deal together. We're doing the work. We're actually building the things, right? We're taking care of everything. Now, the other side is the investor, which they are purely that. They're investing money. They're just giving you capital, all right? Or LP or LP, as that's a right, partner as, as well. a limited yeah. partner, as we, we talk about a lot. And we use these things um, interchangeably lots of times, especially when we go in talking to about our own deal structures. So we got to make sure that's clear. We have the sponsor, the deals, the person that is putting it together, um, the investor that's giving the money. Now, when structuring the um, basically deal, you have four parts that have to be taken in account for, they have to be analyzed, 
And this is how you decide who gets what is based upon these four sections to our graph, which by the way, we have a YouTube video coming up and this actual graph should be in there is my four quadrant, so to speak, um, on how to make um, um, deals. So the at the end of the day, we have the two sides, our sponsors and our investors. And what we're splitting up and trying to understand is the... Um, for in our four quadrants, first in the upper left hand, we have risk. Then the upper right hand, we have uh, uh, labor or who's doing the work associated with it, the sweat equity, right? <laughs> um, and then the bottom left, we have return. And then the bottom right, we have opportunity. And let me break it down why I put this together this way. If you are a sponsor of a real estate deal, Let's start in our first corner of the quadrant. Okay, before we get in the first quarter of the quadrant, I also want to break down. Generally speaking, we're talking about the splitting up and diverting of two things, which is fees and equity splits. That's how contracts are done. If Is there fees? Who's getting fees? And what are the equity splits? Who has what ownership? Okay, the quadrant helps us understand how we should set up the fees and the equity splits between the sponsors and the investors. Do you want to dive into fees just a little bit as yeah. far as like who's like, and you might already be doing this. I don't know. But no, as I far as, because somebody listening to this for the first time is like, wait, am I paying somebody a fee or are they pay? Who's like, what fees? Yeah. Generally speaking, when you have um, uh, syndication deals or you're putting together real estate deals, the sponsor is taking fees, um, generally speaking. Uh, it, for work. So there's certain fees that are going along with doing certain activities within the deal framework to make sure it can happen. So These things you, could be like management fees, yes. acquisition fees, yes. things like that. Absolutely. Um, they can be everything from referral fees, then you can have outside fees that go to brokers, things like that. So it's who's getting paid within this deal and what are they getting paid for is the fee structure. The equity splits are the ownership splits of the deal and understanding who's getting paid what and at what point and how much. Um, and the fees... Uh, go to. And if you're sponsoring the deal, you should have fees. Uh, if not, you're not going to be sponsoring deals for very long because you'll run out of money. <laughs> um, and that is standard practice. And we, we'll get into some more of that a little later after we go through the four quadrant, because I think that'll help explain it. So the first section in our four, um, four corner quadrant is risk. Now, the risk part of the uh, syndication means who is taking on the risk, who is liable. So lots of times with me, for example, I'm the front end risk and the back end risk. But in order to understand risk, we also have to build in my other model that I have, which uh, I think we went over in the last podcast. I know I did it in another YouTube video for you guys. Uh, and that is basically um, the risks that we need to be aware of in real estate, but particularly the risks associated um, in general. So the first risk is we have investment risk. Okay. We have investment risk, which is the risk of the investment. That's the capital you're putting into it, right? That's the actual money that you're giving on all sides. It doesn't matter. It's just the investment risk. The next thing 
is the opportunity risk. And that is the risk of doing that deal um, as opposed to others. And that's a very, very real risk, everybody, you, that must be analyzed. And then we have the third one, which is the big one, and that is the risk of ruin. That means who's running the risk that um, it, it actually devastates you. You can go bankrupt, banks come after you, lawsuits, things like that. So investment risk is investment capital. Opportunity risk is the opportunity of doing this deal or putting money into your deal, the time spent and not doing other things. And then the risk of ruin is the big one that a lot of people think about and associate means what happens if everything goes wrong? Who's getting sued? Who's getting taken down? Who are banks going after? Okay. So when we're looking at this quadrant, the first corner, we break down risk into those three things. And this is really important to understand is the sponsor what is the sponsor risking? So in our deals, for example, we invest all three, meaning we're putting our money into it. In fact, on almost all our deals, we put our money into it first. On many of our deals, we're actually paying the bank. We're being the bank at the first, meaning we'll go out actually buy the property, then put the deal together, right? And then that a lot finance it. And we've done that a lot lately. That means we're floating investors we're making sure that nothing goes wrong. We're making sure that everything's, and we're risking all the money. We're cashing the deal out and then we'll refinance later. So our investment risk is huge within it. We'll also do investment risk for investors as they're trying to come in, which we'll all just cover. So we that ensures that the deal can get done and made, right? And there's the also, also the other side with that risk where investors, when you put in $100,000, $10,000, $50,000 with somebody that you're investing in, you're risking that money that you put in. That's a really real risk. So that investment risk is a big deal. You have to understand who and how much. How much is the sponsor putting in, right? How much is the investor and what does that risk look like? The opportunity risk is something you as a sponsor need to be very well aware of. Um, doing a real estate deal is a lot of work. A lot of work. Oh man, takes a lot of time, a lot Jeez. of efforts. That's, I mean, that's such a great point too, in and of itself, just the timeline on so many of these projects, you know, whether it's even an acquisition or it's a, uh, and two, the, the other side of this too is, I mean, you can get down the line a ways and then have some kind of a hiccup that extends that timeline even further. Uh, I mean, we've had one, uh, one facility under contract for quite a while and uh, we're set to close on it before the end of the year had a slight hiccup and now it's going to be delayed several months and uh, we're not going to be able to close on that if at all uh, because it's kind of in the seller's court you know and, and so there's a huge opportunity cost in pursuing any deal uh, which is such a good point to bring up and how long these timelines can be and when you're looking at it based upon the overall deal as well you run things like okay are we doing a development well for an operator development developments are long-tailed. So let, let, let me give you an example. On a development that we're doing, we bought 15 acres, right? Um, we purchased it. We put our money in. The investors per, put their money in, right? Um, we're holding the risk of liability, everything else. But um, we don't get paid fees until the construction loan comes up on the development. That means Connor's team here they are, we are all working, which has now, which will be like a year plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just over a year. Yeah, just over a year. And we don't get paid for that. So we have employees, everybody else that are working 
um, to try to get to the point. And if it doesn't go through, we don't get paid at all. So um, that risk of opportunity is a it's a tangible it's a quantifiable risk for us in our firm. Like I can actually quantify how much that'll cost us if that doesn't go through. So you need to understand that opportunity risk on both sides. Um, if you're the investor, you need to understand what it is putting your money here versus the stock market, all sorts of other things. Now, the risk of ruin, uh, this is the big one. Who's holding the liability? Who can get sued and who's on the banknote? So generally speaking for us, it's the sponsors. So the person putting the deal together. So we hold the risk. I'm personally guaranteeing it in all our deals. So in our first corner, right, the risk corner, um, the investors are taking for us, how we formulate it, the risk of investment and opportunity risk, but they do not hold the risk of ruin. We take on the investment risk, the opportunity risk, and the risk of ruin as a sponsor. Now, the next part is the labor or the effort, right? And I, I'll think of a better word than labor, but the point being is just who's doing all this work. Um, and with generally syndications, that too is the sponsor. Now you may be pairing together and not syndicating and doing a group thing, which then you have to decide who's doing what. This is really important when you're talking about joint ventures. We are doing a joint venture with uh, Cameron right now, who's in my inner circle, and we're doing one to Denver we're trying to get done. So how we were splitting up the, the, the joint venture was based upon who's doing what. He brought the opportunity, right? He's going to do work. So he's going to be a sponsor with us. And in that, we have to divide how much is worth what. And that's how you get to that end goal. Generally speaking, if you're syndicating or running a fund, the investors or those limited partners, right, they're not putting in any kind of labor. Um, okay, the next thing that we come down to is the total return. All right, now the total or the return on this, this is where you're actually dividing up this equity split portion, right? Who gets what? And the sponsors normally take a portion of the equity for their risk labor and also for, you know, in fact, I'm going to start, stop, uh, not do return first. I'm going to go straight down below labor on our, our quadrant and do opportunity. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So risk, labor, then opportunity. Who's bringing the opportunity to who? Okay. So who actually has this opportunity of a great investment, right? Right now in the economy, money is just flush. It's everywhere, but opportunity is slim. And as a investor that's investing with groups, this is really, really important. And so for us, when we're bringing to the table, for example, great opportunities that we're syndicating, we have one that literally we're going to be able to double the revenues in like a year, right? That's an incredible opportunity. Well, that means that we have a lot of more power and we should be rewarded for going through all the work to find that opportunity, which our acquisition department does full time and we don't get paid or we don't get anything unless we provide opportunities. So we have multiple employees that are actually trying to find opportunities mm -hmm. that cost real money. So who's bringing that opportunity to the table? So when we went up to and talked about when we were joint venturing, that means part of that sponsor GP was split between us and Cameron. Um, we have, and Cameron was on, what podcast was Cameron on? 
You guys can go check that out. Yeah, I'd have, been we'll a while. have to get the number, but we it should was, have them on again, man. Yeah, we can just have yeah. them on again too. But if you go back, you can uh, look for Cameron's episode. It was a great one. Um, but we on that are splitting up that um, that ownership equity and the sponsorship, and that's because he brought the opportunity. So who's bringing the opportunity in? The investors are getting the opportunity to invest. They're getting the opportunity to invest. Do they take on risk? Do they not? Do they have to do work. That all, all three of those, then comes to the question on returns. Who gets what returns? So now the equity splits, right? Who's getting what and why? How much does the sponsorship get for putting the deal together, giving an opportunity, taking the risk, and doing the work? Um, this is a big one. Um, it is like... It, it it's trying to make sure that you guys structure this right. Our first deals, we did not structure it right, and we vastly undervalued what we were doing and bringing to the table. And those original deals will cost my firm millions. It's kind of a perfect example of how you're talking about you can really structure these in any way. You know, where there's not any set way that you, you can put these deals together and what the expectations are. And that's a perfect example where it's like, we came in, we're like, hey, yeah, we're just going to do this. And investors were like, cool. <laughs> so yeah. Where do I sign up? And we did it. And like you said, I mean, we could have structured that in a very different way. And that could have worked too. That would have worked yeah. totally fine. And which is how we're structuring deals now. Um, which it just, I wanted to bring that up and kind of point that out. It, and the fact that it, that's just a prime example of how versatile all of this can be. 100%. And two, even on that, I think on one of the deals, we may, we swung more the other way. And so it, it is a balancing act, which you're probably not going to get perfect, right? That's not going to happen. You're going to give some, or you may go too far and ask for too much, and then you got to come back. So it, it's a balancing act trying to figure out and adjust according to these things. And all of these things too, once again, why the opportunity is so important corner of our quadrant is because this is also has to do with the opportunity that those investors have. So if an investor has an opportunity to invest and get a lot more with somebody else, well, it doesn't matter necessarily what you're doing. You also have to compete with other sponsors, other operators. So opportunity, who's bringing it, but also what other opportunities are there, right? We talked about the opportunity risk of us doing. There's also the opportunity risk for the investors in forfeiting other opportunities. So your your deal structure on your, your syndication has to account for what other opportunities investors have that they can go take for. We should have known on our first original deals when they were filled up by literally like three or four people. And the only thing they asked was, how, how can I get more? It should have been like, oh, we didn't even ask anybody. I just asked a few people that I knew and they asked and were basically <laughs> begging and emailing to get more. Maybe we're off market here. <laughs> so, uh, but, um, so all those things come down once again to the return. How much do we give investors? How much does the sponsor take? What is the equity split? Now, this brings in a next part of the syndication is... What we look for and what I like to do is understand how the return. So when you're looking at return, what is it, right? And how is it given or derived? Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, I want to know, is the return given around some parameters? And, and lots of times with us, it is. So we have a, what is called a waterfall structure, which just means it's when the returns change as they go down the ladder to the investors, okay? So 
waterfall structures can are generally put into place to incentivize the sponsor to do way better. So for us, we take, let's say our GP split is, and I can use this and talk about this openly and why we're doing this with ours. Generally speaking, we take 30% of the equity, but after we hit certain parameters and perform a certain amount, we take more of it. Then we have what's called a flip, where the equity flips. So we don't refinance. Lots of sponsors will have an, an exit for investors, where they take the investors completely out of the stack at refinancing or different things like that. We don't do that. Instead, our waterfall structure is based upon a total return. Lots of other waterfalls are not based upon total returns. It's like a month to month and a reset. What we were looking for is we have our four quadrants. The risk, the moment I got rid of the risk for investors and their opportunity loss. So if I pay an investor back all their money, I ha they're not doing any work. They now have the opportunity to go do something else and they still have the opportunity of the asset and they're still getting a return. I believe at that point I can take a bigger share. So that's a, we give all the money back plus a 20% return on that right left-hand corner, then we take over more of the equity part. The reason I set this up is a lot of waterfalls are short-term structured, right? It's intermittent goals, which then syndicators can play games with. They can fund more up front so they can hit certain returns. They can do something on a month-to-month -month so their waterfall kicks in at different times, right? I wanted our waterfall to be like, listen, in my four quadrant, I got rid of your risk. You don't do work. You have opportunity to go do that plus opportunity in here, and you're still getting a return. Then we can take more of the equity position. So it's extremely performance-based. We don't get to take that extra uh, uh, performance until not a random number that is hit on a month-to-month -month or a cash flow or anything else like that. You have to be risk-free. You have to have a return already. You have to have everything done. Then we take more of that equity split. So at that point, it's a flip, as we call it. It triggers it and flips. Um, this is just something we built and came up with. I'd never heard it from anybody. I built it using my theory of four corners, what investors are wanting, who's putting in what, how it should work. And it's funny because it's actually hard to explain that to a lot of investors. They're like, well, I like the waterfall on this month, the month, the month, and they get a kick in when they get this. And I go, well, look at how much you're getting. So you've received, you haven't received your capital back and you've received a 15% return, but if they hit all these marks, they now get to take tons of the equity. And I'm like, don't you want your money back before they start performing at certain levels and start taking more ownership? Makes sense. Right? And so yeah. you're like, to me, but in a lot of, that can be hard to explain to your investors and it can be hard for us to explain. They, they're comparing two totally different things. And that comes down to this opportunity, opportunity of investors, and we have to make it easy for them to explain. There's a lot of ways you can do it. When we started out, we didn't have any waterfalls. I, I don't even think we had fees. Jeez. Yeah. And we took a very <laughs> limited portion. And these deals were like, to say they were home runs are understatements. They're no. the best deals that anybody will ever receive. Um, so the opportunity, the labor, and the risk, was so the opportunity for investors in those first deals was staggering. Um, some of the best deals we've ever had. The labor was outrageously intensive for us because Connor and his team has to go and convert entire buildings in downtown areas, right? And then the risk- and that's was, still ongoing. And it's still ongoing. <laughs> and the risk, which we still haven't been paid for. And the risk was still on us, including we cashed out, so we had massive risk and went on the debt. 
So our return was very small and for as, as comparison to the others. So that's why, guys, when I say use a framework, use the framework, the four corners, risk, labor, opportunity, and return to understand the roles and how you split it up between sponsors and investors, which is our two parties in the deals, and what you're looking at and how things are sped up or split up and how things are given are fees and equity splits. I hope this gives you an idea or a framework of how you can go into a deal. If you have a great deal, but let's say that you can't take the risk of debt on. Okay, well, no, nobody will give you your debt. So people like to say, well, I can't get debt, so I can't do the deal. That's not true at all. Due to this and how we structure deals, risk is one corner. You don't need to have all corners. Risk is one corner. Well, get somebody else in there to take on the risk and give them a percentage. We call these KPs. They're key persons. So they can come on and they can sign on the debt. So now the opportunity can still go through and you give them 15, 20% of the deal. Like it's, you can make these things work however you want them, right? But a lot of people, it's just so overwhelming that's why I have the framework and that's why I'm looking at all aspects of every single deal and trying to digest who gets what and how they get it. And every one of our deals is dramatically different. Now funds, you have to have a structure set up and that has to go for the entire fund, which we may do a fund as we break up certain strategies. But I hope you guys can see how you can identify and build out an offering and then explain it to investors and not feel um, weird about it or not worry about it that you don't know if you're overstepping or anything, that there's a logical way to come up to a real estate deal. There's a logical way of doing this Mm -hmm. and a justifiable way for you to do it. And then they can argue if you want on what's justifiable or not, but you have your reasons in your in your past and you can adjust from there. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And and the other thing too is is getting those mentors in your life as well who have done these things before. Yes. I mean, how many times are we reaching out? I mean, we still reach out to All our network and time. like, hey, All the time. we got this going on. We got that going on. Like, how can we do this? Yeah. How can we do that? How should we do this differently? Yeah. Ashley Wilson Huge. and... So there was a few people that I was very confused on when I got started. Um, like I, I had built this huge real estate portfolio. Then I went to spend time in Hawaii with uh, the Maui Mastermind. And um, I was a weird exception because I had this real estate portfolio, but I'd never syndicated. And everybody's telling me about this and how to do this. And I was like, What? Like, why have we not been doing this? How do you do this? And I didn't even know how to go about it. So, you know, Ashley Wilson helped me a lot with understanding the investors side. Like, here's here's what you do with investors, everything that. And then Brian Murray helped me a lot with understanding the structure and how we should do this. So even later on, or what even a lot of people would probably say would be the end goal, right? I was still learning this stuff. Mm -hmm. I still had to find people that knew. I still had to find resources and uh, they needed to guide me through it. And I still got it wrong. I mean, you got to think about how funny that is. (laughs) We had over a hundred million in assets and I still didn't structure it good. Yeah. Because I didn't understand all the dynamics and I was learning. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And that's okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Such a good episode. Thank you guys for listening. If you could give us a review here on iTunes, Spotify, whatever it is that you're listening to us on, subscribe. Head over to the YouTube channel, all the links, all that yep. stuff in the show notes. We've been crushing it on the YouTube game, or I guess it's AJ has. Crazy, um, it's crazy. just skyrocketing. There's tons of value there that uh, AJ is getting out every week, and uh, we're just pumping content out like crazy. Share the stuff with your friends. Get involved in the communities. Get out it there. It helps us a lot. Uh, oh, build your network. 
And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much for all the support. Thanks, everybody.